Today on Know How. Console hacking done right with Tazbot. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This episode of Know How is brought to you by Avnet. Avnet and Not Impossible Labs created a historic event at the Life is Beautiful Music Festival, a first-of-its-kind live concert that helped the deaf and hearing communities experience music in a whole new way. Visit avnet.com slash music1 to see the journey. And by DigitalOcean, the easiest cloud platform to deploy, manage, and scale applications. Over 150,000 businesses rely on DigitalOcean to remove infrastructure friction and deliver industry-leading price performance. Sign up today and receive a free $100 credit at do.co slash twit. Welcome to Know How on a different set today. Know How Gaming. Man, this has been a lot of fun doing this whole series, and I've seriously been looking forward to this episode. I'm Jason Howell. Sam Moscovich here from Ars Technica hanging out. I had to hang out with the beautiful, the lovely ROB, but not just any ROB. This is Tazbot. Yeah, we've got joining us to show off... Well, I mean, just your amazing work. You've been working on this, I imagine. You've spent a lot of time on this, I know. Uh, Alan Cecil, keeper of Tazbot. Better known as Duango AC. Glad to be here. <laughs> it's really great to have you here, man. Now, I should also mention, Alan is actually uh, my neighbor. We yeah. live in the same neighborhood. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Our kids are friends, so it's pretty awesome. We're friends outside of work, but it's really great. Um, one day you pulled me into into your home and you were like, hey, check this out. And you showed me this huge console. And I was I was relatively unaware of Tazbot at that point. You have been on new screensavers before, though. Yes, I've been and here before. So apparently a couple of years ago, I missed that episode. You showed off kind of what Tazbot was doing there. Um, but I was kind of blown away. Like, I love this idea of taking classic console gaming and, you know, making computer-assisted modifications to it to do entirely new things. And that, I think, is kind of the genesis, the basis behind Tazbot, right? Yeah, and if you want to see Leo get his mind blown by Tazbot, you can go back to episode 60 of the new screensavers. It was pretty amusing. Episode 60. Yes, absolutely. So uh, Tazbot, Taz, anyway, stands for Tool Assisted Speed Run Bot. What, like, what, what was kind of the idea behind this initially? How did you come up with this uh, initially? What, what was your thought there? So I actually have a little bit of a monologue, so forgive me for this. This That's is going to take a minute. But <laughs> in 2013, I was looking at the Awesome Games Done Quick charity marathons, and I really wanted to be part of those events because they're, they're week-long marathons where speedrunners are playing games with human skill as fast as they can, one after another, raising money for charity, usually either the Prevent Cancer Foundation or Doctors Without Borders. And I really wanted to be part of it, but my first idea was pretty bad. I was going to learn how to play Super, Super Scribble Knots or Scribble Knots Unlimited, and I was going to be, I was going to submit, I was going to be there, I was going to be part of it. And then I realized I really sucked at doing speedrunning. Yeah. But I had already been on task videos for a number of years doing tool assisted speedruns. And yeah, talk about exactly what a tool assisted yeah, really speedrun yeah. is, because that's a weird domain where it's not a human playing the game right. necessarily. Exactly. And and this is going to lead into a whole lot of other questions that are all worth talking about. Uh, long and the short of it, 
I was able to uh, to make a device that was able to play on a real console, was able to be part of AGDQ 2014, and the rest is history. I've now done eight or nine games, done quick events, and it's grown to absolutely out of my mind unbelievingly huge proportions. That's awesome. But That's I should get back to the basics of well, yeah, what because is a test. Because when we think about tool-assisted speedruns, I think of people programming these micro-movements inside a video game, frame by frame, deciding exactly when they press the A button up and so on, which is normally uh, manipulated within like an emulator or some sort of thing within a computer rig, maybe sometimes connected to the actual console. But I'm curious about what you know about that and how uh, you got uh, Rob into that mix. <laughs> yeah, well, that's an interesting story. So first of all, I should back up. The history of tool-assisted speedruns is kind of cloudy and interesting because in 2003, there was someone named Morimoto who released a video of really insane gameplay on the game Super Mario Bros. 3, and it wasn't attributed to anyone. It was simply this video that was broadcast prior to YouTube existing. It was just a WMV file floating around the internet with no attribution, and it showed these insane maneuvers of Mario near death, constantly dodging enemies, doing the most ridiculous things, getting 99 lives. It was really impressive, but it wasn't shown to, it wasn't marked or labeled as being a tool-assisted speedrun. And especially with the site being in Japanese that it was linked to, there was very little knowledge of what this thing was. The problem was that it was absolutely made with an emulator with very primitive tools. All they had were slow motion tools and uh, the ability to record all of the button presses of playing the game in order. Uh, so that initial movie was met with from the real human speedrunning community with a lot of resistance. It was considered a fraud. It was considered something dirty, something very offensive to them because you were augmenting human skill with these, all these tools and they, they were not disclaimed correctly. And it was already hard enough at that point to trust what it was you were seeing on the right, internet if you right. didn't have a matching, you know, if you didn't I mean, goodness, we've already had enough drama going on with high scores in games like Donkey Kong, let alone something like that where you're like, how could that possibly be human? Ask me about Dragster later. <laughs> so, out of this a person named Bizquit built a site called NES Videos and he started making a number of other tool-assisted speedruns that he then labeled. So when he released videos, he made sure that they specifically said that this was made with tools. And that, at the time, that was even commonly referred to as tool-assisted superplays. By about 2006, the process had morphed extraordinarily fast. NES videos became task videos. It was pretty common to use frame advance, a technique that was added a couple of years prior after Morimoto's run came out. They... they added tools to these emulators to allow you to literally go a 60th of a second at a time. In other words, it went from just being a human with, with some slow motion to really being all about how do you perfectly play to the limits of the game code and hardware a game from start to finish and complete it as fast as the hardware allows, mm -hmm. completely removing all human skill, luck, memory, anything that would limit us as humans completely out of the picture. Now, I'm curious wow. at what point you recall seeing someone actually take a, a physical system and come up with some way to do that perfectly timed button pressing or if that hadn't been seen before because that to yeah. me is this interesting thing and sort of the beginning, I think, of some of the Tazbot story. Now, that's a really interesting question in part because it wasn't overnight and it was a pretty long and messy process largely because the early emulators were not that good. Fantasia in particular that was used to create Morimoto's run of Super Mario Bros. 3 back in 2003 was so bad that when I go back to watch it, I listen to how a coin block sounds when it gets hit, and it's emulated terribly. <laughs> um, the other thing is that 
as emulators became faster, I'm sorry, more accurate, they became slower. They used more cycles. And it took hardware a little while to catch up to the point where an emulator that was accurate to the hardware could be used to make something useful. Around 2011 was really the first time that anything really broke loose, where someone was able to complete an entire game. Interestingly, there were some separate things that happened in and outside of the community. There was someone named True who was the first person to have some button presses that did, did some amount of useful movement. But unknowns to the entire test video community, a hacker named Jaku had managed to make his own device with his own hardware that could complete the entire first level of Super Mario Brothers 1. We didn't even know about it. Uh, it wasn't until uh, Micro 500 built his NES bot based on an Arduino design that it was possible to play through an entire game, in his case, Super Mario Brothers 1. And do you recall exactly how that physically pressed down on buttons or sent those button commands to real hardware? So we're never actually physically pressing buttons, at least yet. By the time, uh, by, by this time next year, we might have built an actual button masher for handheld consoles. But in general, what we're doing is we are perfectly replicating the electrical signals of a controller. So in the protocol that the Nintendo uses, for instance, I was always confused by this. I looked at the end of my NES cable when I was a kid, and there were seven wires on it. I could see there were seven holes, but I looked at the controller and there were eight buttons. That doesn't, something's wrong here. And it turns out it's actually a really simple protocol. There's five volts, there's ground, a latch line, a latch saying, hey, controller, get ready, I'm about to ask you what buttons you're pressing, a clock line, and finally the data line that comes back. So it'll say, clock, hey, give me the first button in a predefined order. Okay, it's being pressed, so I'm going to send back a one with, with either high or low voltage, depending on what button the state is. And you just can do this eight times. So you just clock out the controller, and that's going down a serial line. Well, we looked at this protocol with an oscilloscope with a logic analyzer. We reverse engineered how it worked. And then we made a device that sends exactly the right responses to pretend to be a real controller perfectly. Who, who is we? Because, I mean... So I, I say we a lot. Well, no, no, but I'm, I'm very curious. Like, this really seems like a, 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 like a, it's probably some sort of a team effort. I know there's a large community around this. So at, at what point did you connect with other people and, and begin working collaboratively on something like this? It's a great question. So really in late 2013, and I'm going to phrase it this way. I started looking at how Micro 500 did his first NES, SNES replay device. His, his was really just for a Nintendo, specifically. Um, his was Arduino-based. He made an Instructables guide on how to build it. Uh, I ended up following his guide to figure out how to build it myself. Mm-hmm. Got in touch with him eventually, and it was, all the communication was happening at the time at taskvideos.org. Mm-hmm. I had been part of Task Videos uh, since 2008 when I joined as a result of seeing that original Morimoto video of Super Mario Brothers 3, by the way. Uh, I, mean, I submitted my first tool-assisted speedrun, and by the time... 2013 rolled around, I was an expert player uh, as far as the ranking system on Task Videos was concerned. I'd had a number of tool-assisted speedruns that I'd produced myself. Okay. So I had at least some amount of uh, ability to talk to other people in the community and ask for help when I had this audacious idea of, hey, let's go to Games Done Quick and let's play games with a real console. Let's, mm-hmm. let's do a tool-assisted speedrun, represent Task Videos, but do it on real hardware. At, at that point, did you say, we really need to get a mascot? What I did was I tried to make a Raspberry Pi work. And it didn't work on its own because the amount of time for the clock signal is so small that with a polling-based operating system, it couldn't catch the signal. So we ended up building a device. True was the main designer of that, his uh, True's SNES, uh, NES SNES replay device, as he phrased it. 
But we were still able to incorporate the Raspberry Pi. Everything I'm doing is going to be Linux-based. This laptop is running Linux natively, actually from System76 right out of the box. So everything we do is in Linux, uh, in part because I'm the president of the North Bay Linux Users Group and was involved even then. So I wanted to do everything in Linux. I got the Raspberry Pi, got this other device, went, hmm, this doesn't look good enough. I got to do something with this. And someone suggested buying a Rob just to hold it. ROB robotic yeah, operating right. buddy. So this guy right here without all this <laughs> Not everyone stuff. got the ROB with their ideas. No, no. Most, most people didn't. There were Although everybody games. saw the, the promotional pictures and thought, whoa, that's the future. Meanwhile, what really happened with Rob? There were like a handful of games. There were two games. games. There yeah. were only two Gyromite and Stack Up. <laughs> not even that's, a handful of games. There's only two, two pointer yeah, fingers. It's it, not exactly the most riveting use of a physical toy to manipulate <laughs> no. buttons in the game. But that wasn't its purpose. Right. The only purpose of releasing Rob in the U.S. market was because that way they could put it in the toy section, not in the video game section. Uh, That's why it's the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So he was a Trojan horse. They made, they got him out there, they made the two games, and then they stopped because it was it was really kind of impractical. Yeah. Uh, I have played games with Rob. It's fun. but So I bought myself a Rob. I took zip ties and just strapped the two boards onto him. There's a picture floating around the internet that I still kind of regret. I called him Rob Berry Pie. <laughs> And let's just that, say that, that, that works. I mean, it, I get where I get where you were headed with that, but it was kind of cringy, you know. <laughs> that's a and, hard that's a ta- hard Twitter handle to spell. Yeah, that is. And what happened is I submitted the games on the AGDQ 2014 submissions thread, and someone named Mecha Richter came up and said, "Man, I am digging this Taskbot stuff," and the name has stuck forever. So yeah. That, that one guy happens to get credit for it. I, I like Tazbot better. I like Tazbot better. And, and can you run us yeah. through that first Tazbot sequence at, was it an AGDQ? It was an AGDQ. So, and average games done quick, as you had talked about. Where people average? Are, <laughs> average games, that's what I always call it. So awesome oh. games done quick, uh, where, as you would explain, people just try to play games as quickly as possible, often using glitches, sometimes having to perform with specific categories, uh, perhaps playing the game 100% or any percent to just try and beat them as quickly as possible uh, and usually doing it in a really entertaining way, again, as you'd said, for charity. So in that case, when you were submitting for something like that, which is about watchability and popular games, what was the, the result that ended up on stage? The result that ended up on stage was more than I expected. We were given the ability to play the game Gradius, play... Uh, Super Mario Kart, Super Mario 64 specifically. I'm sorry, Mario Kart 64. Okay. And that, that other game came later. Uh, and also Super Mario World. And in the hours leading up to the event, we, f- we were able to do much more than we expected initially. You see, a couple of months prior, someone had found a way to take complete control of Super Mario World and end the game immediately. But when you have complete control of a console, it seems like a waste to just end the game. Right. So... <laughs> A very talented hacker named Master June, incredibly good at making tasks and knew the console fairly well, wrote a payload to turn Super Mario World into a game of Pong and Snake. And I I would love to be able to tell you that the rest of it went perfect. We had some terrible desyncs in Gradius uh, because there were controller cables that were pulled over the top of microphone cables and we didn't have shielding then and it was very sensitive. A A lot of things went wrong in that first year, but the one thing that worked flawlessly was Super Mario World. And it got a lot of attention from none other than Kyle Orland of Ars Technica. 
He's a perfectly nice man. And uh, no, I was trying to come up with an insult, but I like Kyle so much. But that was now when you talked about Pong, though, what you're saying is you didn't just unlock a hidden game of Pong inside of the system. What did you do to actually get Pong up and running? So ultimately, you want to bootstrap your way up to the point of complete control. So when, when we started, all we had was the ability to move Mario around the screen. Well, now Mario can hop on Yoshi, so now we can now you move Yoshi and Mario around the screen, and we can move shells around the screen. And ultimately, the, the exploit that was used is extraordinarily complex. It involves the object attribute map in Super Mario World. But the long and the short of it is that by moving the player around in the game, by positioning objects in exactly the right location, and by triggering a specific glitch, it was possible to force the game to run that object attribute map as code. And we positioned everything perfectly to effectively say, hey... Go grab the controller input on player one. Go put it in memory, and then go do it again, and just store it one byte after another. And when you get done, go run it. So, so this, so this video, just so you know, I, I put the link into the doc. And um, if you scan forward, Josh, to one minute forty-four seconds, well, probably one minute thirty-five seconds, let's say. And uh, at that point, I think we're going to see kind of like what right happens here. with the transition, right? So the real secret is that that uh, yeah. Right there, where you saw everything glitch, okay. and you saw the input on the right. This is a video that shows you the actual controller inputs of all controllers that are being used. Now, right, you mean that, that all those little letters at the top right? That's correct. Yeah. So those are the controllers that were that were put into use, and in the actual marathon, we handed the controllers to humans and let them play these games. It really got people's attention, in part because it was unknown at that time. It was not widely understood that it was possible to take complete control of a game like this. If we had done this on a newer game console, this would be a pretty big deal. I, I had the pleasure of wow. going to Shanghai, China uh, to a Geekpone conference with none other than Geohot, who was the first person to jailbreak a PlayStation 3. Right. And talking to him about this, he's like, man, if, if you had done this on a newer console, you'd be like, people would be crawling over you. But we really did. We took complete control of this old console and it got a lot of attention i mean that's the dream is being able to run arbitrary code on these locked down consoles the kind of thing where you needed the seal of quality and the official license to play and you're essentially saying if we just tap all of the buttons on multiple controllers very quickly we can kind of run what we want how do you discover that though like at what what point do you discover this is the magical combination of 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 button presses that that allows for that the wonderful thing about tool-assisted anything is that you're using tools. And the more tools you use, the easier this gets. If okay. all you had was just your own hands and nothing else, you couldn't tell anything about how the code worked. It was a complete black box. It would be extraordinarily difficult to do this. But tools give us the wonderful ability, the wonderful tool, the, I don't know what the right word is. It gives us all of these fantastic things like memory searching and a, a view of Every possible state, every register in the CPU, every execution that's coming down the line in code, you can trace everything going on in these consoles because they're perfectly emulated. And by doing that, you can do memory searches, you can do a technique where maybe you're trying to find the value that represents Mario's horizontal location on the screen. So his, uh, either his X or his Y coordinate. So maybe you'll, you'll take a snapshot in memory, then you'll have Mario run forward, and while he's in flight, You'll check again, and you'll check for all values that are larger than they were before. And then you'll have Mario stop, and now you'll look for 
you'll narrow down the values that we're going up and now it'll stop moving. Mm -hmm. And you narrow down and find in memory the exact value in memory of Mario's position. Once you find all these things, they get documented. You build on one another's work. They get published in game resources pages on task videos or elsewhere. And you get to the point where you now have deconstructed the vast majority of the game to the point that, as of now, I think Super Mario World is completely disassembled. We know everything about how the game works, and that gives us the ability to find flaws and glitches and uh, how it works. And, this, it. and the fascinating thing is what you're talking about, what you're deconstructing, is just the retail game. You're not taking a hacked version of the game. You're not hacking a Super Nintendo. I could go to the store and or use store and buy Super Mario World and buy a Super Nintendo. I mean, I need to plug in some other crazy controllers that tap really quickly, but that's that's a stock game. Yeah, this hardware you see in front of you is completely unmodified in every way. There's nothing that we've done. We're only connecting to externally exposed expansion ports. And on that note, we don't consider putting something between the game ROM and the console. In other words, a game genie. We don't consider that kosher. That's altering oh, how the game that's works. Fascinating. Right? You're just like my older brother. Well, you can do it, but we're really sensitive to the word cheating. Right. And what we do is not cheating in any capacity. We never alter how the original game was written. We never never alter how the original hardware was designed, with one notable exception coming. And that is that these consoles are 25 years old. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is a real big problem is they have ceramic oscillators on the soundboard that are 25 years old and they're degrading over time they are no longer matching the specification of the original console so we're looking at options to refurbish them to get back to their original state but not only that we're looking to go one step further and match the actual specification which the original hardware randomly maybe did maybe didn't right to get to the point where what the game designer was told the system operated at is what it actually operates at that is fascinating. Yeah. It's absolutely necessary, too, because these particular consoles on the Super Nintendo have two separate clocks. They have the main CPU clock running at 21 megahertz. They have a sound clock running at 24.576. <laughs> and when you have two processors that are running at different speeds, two clocks running at different speeds, two different processors, they spin lock. Sometimes they're not ready for the other. And that is like a butterfly effect that can cause entire sections to take one frame longer and then the entire run desynchronizes because it's no longer deterministic and we need to talk about deterministic later <laughs> yes all right well let's um let's take a pause we have to thank the sponsor of this episode and then when we get back we'll um we'll kind of dive in and see what what this is doing because we've talked a lot about it and really it's very impressive to kind of see it in action obviously we've got a nice little spread here so i know that people want to see that but first let's take a break and uh, thank the sponsor of this episode of know-how this episode of Know How is brought to you by Avnet. So how does a groundbreaking technology incubator debut its latest idea for solving life's absurdities? By leveraging an end-to-end -end ecosystem that turns ideas into marketable products. Not Impossible Labs had an idea for tech that could revolutionize live music. The team wanted to bring the experience of a concert to a group who had traditionally found it inaccessible, the deaf community. So no doubt live music is something the hearing able take for granted, and it's such an incredible experience. It touches on all of your senses. A challenge then lies in making concerts and live music events more inclusive for the deaf. With Avnet as their guide, 
their idea evolved to one of the most sophisticated wearables on the market, helping to bring a shared live concert experience. Called Music Not Impossible, the product allows deaf and hearing concert goers alike to literally feel live music through advanced vibration technology and experience it together for the first time. Those wearables, and we call things wearables all the time, these are actually wearables in the strictest sense. The, you know, the people are wearing a vest with components that send vibrations through their ankles, their wrists, their chest. The hearing abled, of course, receive music vibrations through their ears, while attendees at this event who were deaf and wearing these wearable uh, vests received those vibrations through other parts of their body. And that allowed many of them to respond to the live music alongside everyone else. For many of them, this was the first for them, an innovation that literally opens up a whole new world of music exploration to those who might not hear it in the traditional sense. Now, Avnet and Not Impossible Labs revealed music Not Impossible at the Life is Beautiful Music Festival in Las Vegas. It was a huge hit. It's the kind of innovation that was brought to the finish line because of Avnet. Visit avnet.com slash music one and you can see the journey for yourself. That's avnet.com slash music, and then the number one. And we thank Avnet for their support. All right, so enough talking about uh, what it can do. The best way to really demonstrate this is to kind of see see what it can do. Because we, it does right. some really cool things. And it's we've cool just been peeking it. over on this side at the terminal interface. You have a lot that you're able to type into here. Uh, the more interesting stuff is clearly what's on this side of the table. That's right, at least. Yeah. yeah. So this is a, rather than having a Raspberry Pi here, I have a full Linux laptop from System76. All I have is a simple CLI that Onosaurus and some other folks that help volunteer for this. And this is a huge team. We've got to talk about that later because there's so many people that make this possible. But Onosaurus made a CLI for us, just a command line interface that allows us to interact with the console. Hmm. And I can do a variety of things. I can start runs. I can restart them because of a handy little uh, cable I have right over here. This goes to the bottom of the console. Oh, I'll get back to the microphone here. That little wire there goes to the bottom of the console and just connects to a reset pen. So the expansion port on the bottom of the console we consider viable entryway into the console. It was hmm. designed to be used. Right, it was designed to be there. Yeah. So we can short a pen on that and turn the console off. So I don't have to reach over my laptop to go power the console. <laughs> Very that nice. has to save you so much strain when you're testing stuff out. Yes. yes. It makes a big difference. That's one of the reasons that I'm using this specific board. This board here, I'm going to show you. I've got Taskbot here. He has a board he's holding that's the Taslink board. This was made by Micro 500. It allows us to do four different video game uh, consoles at the same time. So more on that some other time on what we can do wow. with that ability. So you can, you can have four different consoles. like uh, Yeah, you can have four different one-player consoles or two two-player consoles running uh, simultaneously. My right, goodness. I can't crazy. even with how much glee that gives me. I know. Please, let's yes. awesome. go back to this. There oh are God. reasons we needed four. Yeah. And if I had four Nintendo consoles, I could demonstrate to you what we can do. Well, but, maybe yeah. someday soon. Someday. <laughs> uh, but all I'm going to do now is we're playing the game Super Mario World, and that's the only game we're actually going to show today. Okay. But right. don't worry. There's plenty we can do. Great. So uh, whenever we get a chance to show that on screen, I'm just going to do a Dell save. Now, this game might have already been played. I just triggered the reset. We need to make sure there's nothing in that first save slot that might cause us trouble. So we're going to delete that. Now, we're going to run something that I really like. It's one of my favorite runs. We want to get, the, uh, we want to get some of the, the button presses popping up on the screen at this point? Yeah, sure. You can do that. All right. There we go. So, Because, again, every time you see a flicker, that is one of those buttons being pressed. And sometimes, I think it's 60 frames a second uh, on our capture. So you should be able to see uh, 
those rapid fire ones on occasion. Yeah. Of course, right now there's no input to the game at all. Yeah. So we're, all we're going to do is we're going to start this first level. You can see that uh, that control, that visualization board. Now these are actual controllers that we've removed the buttons from and put LEDs where they belong. And astute viewers who have good resolution might observe something funky going on with the A, B, X, and Y buttons. But we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> so looks it, like a pretty standard game of Super Mario World to me. Just hanging oh, out. Oh yeah, and, I'm this you know, good. Yeah, yeah. I just mean, playing, really just playing video games. What's what's so special about this? You know, so obviously it's pretty un- abnormal gameplay right here. Yes. Uh, you've got Yoshi that just ran off to the left. you got this Charge and Chuck. We're luring all the way over here, waiting for him to get over here, waiting for him. He's really slow. Let's look at him as it goes by. It's amazing what you can how, do to those how, how has this been pieced together, all of these moves? Like, oh, how did that get pieced together? It's a lot of data. Now, we're playing this. That looks like a different video game. Yes. Would you like to play Super Mario Brothers? I mean, I always want to play Super Mario Brothers. Well, there's a controller right there. So now I you've get, got I'm hitting con- select. All right. I'm get, changing to one to two player. We're going to hit the start button. This, there's going to be a little bit of input lag, I feel like, with the monitor we have. So wait a minute. I'm confused now. So this is the Super Mario World cartridge. Yes. How are we now in the Nintendo version of Super Mario Brothers? One thing you might not be able to hear is it, well, th- those are the wrong sound effects. Yeah, too. no, this is music from Super Mario World. Yep, that is definitely not the um, the squash uh, going into the pipe sound. Uh, this is really good. In fact, not only that, but um, the Y button uh, uh, is mapped. They're doing the uh, the Super Mario All-Stars mapping of buttons, which I appreciate. Oh, we okay. really need to get that back to the game. Oh, wait, I can look behind me. There we go. <laughs> I'm not He's like, I can't play. But this is absolutely, no, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to totally get to the top. No! So, I'm going to get the 100. Okay, okay, explain. Keep it at 100. Explain. Lots of explanations. Needed. Yes, I need I need explanations here. I don't. I just need to play. <laughs> yeah, you keep playing and I'll talk to you. You have fun and I'll talk to him. Yes. Uh, so, so why am I seeing one game on a different cart? Because it turns out that there is a compatibility mode on the chip that they put in the Super Nintendo that allows it to run in the same mode the original Nintendo had. Oddly, Nintendo chose not to allow it to use backward compatibility. We're not really sure why they made that decision, but it was spec'd out to allow it. Now, there were too many things that were different that they would have to have replicated. For instance, the texture files are stored in memory in a slightly different way. Sound is stored completely differently. There's a completely separate sound board in a Super Nintendo that doesn't even exist on the original Nintendo. Right, right. So that hardware is missing. So what you're actually looking at is the conglomeration of two things. First, you have the real original code running on the processor at the original uh, instruction set speeds and everything you might expect. But we had to alter the texture data. It almost like as if it was rotated. We also used the audio, because it was easier to do so, from, of all things, Super Mario All-Stars. Yeah. Uh, But Super Mario World audio is also possible, and oddly, they mapped the memory of all those locations between the two games nearly the same. So whoever worked on Super Mario World, we now know, also used the same audio planning for Super Mario All-Stars, also listed on Super Nintendo. Ah, So it was very interesting that we were able to get away with that, but... So, basically, a very talented uh, coder by the name of P4 Plus 2 figured out how to do all this crazy stuff. And uh, we showed this at AGDQ 2015 to great effect. It was well-received. I mean, this is is, so fascinating. I love it. That's how you die. Yes. Not me. Not you. Wow. 
you, you got to kind of know what you're looking at to to kind of understand why well, this so is interesting so different. To hear these Super Mario All Stars. I mean, I'm hearing those specific Super Mario yeah. All Stars music cues just barely in the background. Yeah, with the audio is in here. Yeah, but very neat. Love it. Yeah. All right, so that's one. That's one thing that you. And that that all began with. Do I have to stop playing a, Super Mario? Yeah, Brothers? I think you probably you do. do again. Uh, you sent a command from here that that kind of kicked it off on on its own direction, right? That's right. Okay. What else you got? Well, I got some pretty crazy stuff. All right, I got some crazy. Uh, do stuff. we need to plug anything back? Like I as do. It was okay. Uh, I can power it off on my end. I'm going to plug the cable in right quick. Right. Fascinating stuff. Um, I appreciate that the Tazbot has uh, some Lego stylings. I appreciate that I was able to show off my uh, yeah, ability to find the warp zone yeah. in uh, one two. Very rare little secret in a indie little game called Super Mario Brothers. Indie, <laughs> rare. Okay, all right. You know it happens. Well, it's not. It's not gyromite. <laughs> Oops, that, that was a little uh, rob humor. That is. That is. Some pretty severe humor right there. <laughs> that is funny, Sam. Oh, I just got brutalized. <laughs> you did. That uh, joke is funny. So, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, we just demonstrated what we could do with the task link board. Yeah. But there are certain things that require even more oomph. All right. So, I need that board right over there to uh, your right. That would be this, yes. this board? Yeah. What are we so, looking at here? If, I don't know if we can't really zoom in too much, but the board I have on TaskBot right now is a TaskLink board. This board is one that you could actually construct for as little as $10, maybe 15 or so, depending on where you source the board. This is a PSOC5 board right here, this, this narrow section. It has a USB end and then a programming end over here. Uh, this dev kit portion can be snapped off. So these are really cheap boards uh, made by Cypress. The... Shield underneath it was also made by Micro 500, and then we just mounted them to Legos because I'm one point in time decided Legos were a great way to make modularity, mm -hmm. and it's worked out pretty well for us. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to swap out this Taslink board made by Micro 500 with this board. Now this was designed by Total. the 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 board itself was made by Micro 500, but the code running on it and the design using this PSOC5 design was made by a wonderfully talented hacker uh, named Total. And I'm going to show you what we can do with this one. All right. All right. Do it to it. We're going to kind of... Uh, I'm just going to sit here pick and pretend that the I'm still doing it. This is me doing it. All right. So you need this cable. The USB. We're doing it live. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're doing it live. Live demos. And by the way, you, you probably remember a uh, previous episode. I think it was the last episode. Well, the, the classic gaming episode. We were using this open source uh, scan converter, which is Alan's scan converter, and that's why you're getting all of this crisp, pristine video and coming we in. we appreciate having... Uh, yeah, I mean, that really all is, the, is all, all the difference, and it's only a couple hundred dollars, so not a bad purchase uh, to begin with. All right. That is important. You want to be it up through USB. Yeah, you don't want to be player four, then you're stuck with the knockoff third party controller. Oh no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. These are I have I have two originals. Controllers are surprisingly important. <laughs> uh, they really are. They, right. Well, they, they, you can replace pads and all kinds of things. Right. That OSSC, by the way, is why that image looks as sharp as it does. Mm -hmm. And it it really is yeah. an amazing device. In part uh because it does give you a really a really clean uh, signal mm -hmm. that you wouldn't get any other way. Yeah, and that was we we were really fortunate to get to test that out with an existing scanline converter that we had that was not up to the task. <laughs> that was totally solid and got the job done, but not in the way where 
Uh, yeah. Not not as top tier as something like this would. Look. Oh, I mean, or you know, or the 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 super NT also. We were able to test out, and that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to do this. I'm going to get Dell safe here. So uh, I'm going to switch back to where I can see the video, if you don't mind. So we still got Mario running. I'm going to restart the console here. All right, it blanked out. Here we go. Console is back, restarting. Back to Super Mario World, 16-bit version. Now I'm going to type off, and it's going to freeze the last frame. That's an actual feature of the uh, uh, PPU, the processing unit of the... SNES. Huh. Kind of interesting. Next we're going to do another... Here we go. Alright, we're going to turn the console on. Now, this is going to look very familiar. And one of the things you'll note is that we've actually made several refinements to the process of how quickly we can take over Super Mario World. But at a certain point, there's only so fast you can make it. So, unfortunately, the two videos I showed you are using the same technique to get to total control. The difference is the payload. And the payload I'm about to show you requires this other board for a very specific reason. Do we want to get that controller up on the screen? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, you're going to want it in a little bit. Oh, and I look, I'd say I told you inevitably that I was going to plug these cables in in the wrong place. Is it still going to work? Oh, it's going to work fine. These are just visualization boards. Got it. Uh, One thing I didn't mention earlier about these visualization boards is if you were looking really carefully, you'd see that in the X, Y, A, and B locations, there's actually two LEDs. And that's because the controller responds as if there are 16 buttons. Even though there are only 12 you can hit, the controller responds as if there were 16 buttons on the controller every time it's asked for input. So when we are responding back to the game, to the, to the console, we're actually sending back a full 16 buttons. So right here, watch what happens. See those extra LEDs are lit up? Okay. That is all 16 buttons. Now we are on a payload that is truly, absolutely mind-boggling. What? Welcome is to Total's this? SNES stereo player. This player plays 16-bit, 32 kilohertz stereo PCM audio streaming through the controller. You could get a camera on my face right now. I'm flipping over here. <laughs> seen that before? That is no. so cool. Although we've only seen it. I mean, I know the Super Nintendo it. has a pretty solid sound chip. It does, but, but you can make it. You can make it pretty pretty amazing. <laughs> so. Let's do, I don't know, let's grab a random sound sample. So uh, we can confirm here that I am not cheating in any way. So I'm going to do, let's see. uh, Okay. Uh, So what I'm going to do is replace this file with this one right here. Uh, We were asked to, we were asked for uh, an audio file earlier and we're not told why. Yeah. There we go. Oh, here goes. This is amazing. <laughs> wow, it sounds pretty good, gotta say. And so that's streaming through the Super Nintendo controller. An unmodified board. Super Nintendo yes. is now, and those button presses are sending that audio. Yes. So it's basically the rapid fire pressing of all those buttons what? is telling this Super Nintendo with Super Mario World in it to play this. I mean, this is what is this a wave? I don't know what kind of file we get. I think I, I think this might be. This is uncompressed. Yes. This is MP3. Sadly, this is just an MP3, so this isn't even a representation of the best it can do. So and then it's getting re-encoded by the time it gets to viewers. But we could potentially do a full-on uncompressed wave. Yes, at at a true legit. Yeah, this is stereo, 16-bit, 32 kilohertz audio. What is insanity? Yeah. That is so crazy. And I mean, how, wait, because we, you know, I can't necessarily hear it. I mean, what was the delay between you hitting go and it just none? I mean, it's streaming in real time. 
Now, this was so hard to do. When people talk about optimizing for platforms, they usually don't mean to the very last CPU cycle. But we have, I kid you not, we have two CPU cycles left, I think. Uh, And we had to unroll the loop to the point that it was ridiculous. (laughs) How long did this from start to finish take to pull off this specific tool? So this was made largely by Total, who also made that board. He was definitely the brainchild behind it. He referenced other material that had been done before him on how to play these types of samples out of ROM. So there was already an understanding of how to transfer data out of ROM into the sound processing unit at a reasonable pace. What was tricky is those two clocks I told you about. What he found was a technique that allowed him to write into basically an echo buffer. And it did it in such a way that it uh, it makes it very, very consistent to move data from the the main CPU to the soundboard. The, the odd problem is we're shoving several megabits through every second of yeah. data. Yeah, It's an insane amount. You, 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 wow. think, you don't think about it this way, but it's a lot of data. So these controller ports that are flashing, they're probably flashing so fast that it almost looks like water Yeah, uh, because the data rate is so high. Normally, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Normally, the game would ask for input once per frame, and a frame is every 60th of a second in the United States, every 50th of a second in PAL territories in the Europe. In Good Europe. thing we're in the U.S., yes. We're in the U.S., so it's okay. It's okay. We, but we don't stop there. And instead of saying, hey, pull one controller once per frame, 60 times a second, for a total rate of, I think that's 480? No, wait. No, that would be, uh, no, what are we, what's, uh, now i got to do math. It's two bytes per, so two bytes times 60, so it would be 120, I think. Right? Math sure. Is right. Sounds about right. That so, works for me. Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> um, so you can connect additional controllers using an interesting method. The original Super Nintendo had a, a device called a multi-tap, and it had two separate cables going to it. So how many is that? That's two multi-taps, each with two controllers connected. So wait, so is that... 20 controllers worth? How much? No, the multi-tap had four controllers on it okay. and connected to one port, but there were only two data lines going from the console to the controller. So it would be able to read players' uh, controllers one and two, and then it had a, th- a final pen that would say, I have select, switch over to the other set of controllers and read three and four. Uh-huh. But that takes time. Why would you do that? You can read one and two on ports. So let me get this straight. <laughs> port one, controller one. Port two, controller two. Port 2, controller 1. Port 2, controller 2. So you have four separate controllers that are all being read simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That's what allows us to get this data rate yeah. as high as it is. And we're also not asking just once per frame. We're asking for almost the entire frame. <laughs> yeah. So we're constantly dumping data in. There was only a couple of cycles left. Just just a couple. And that's what we have driving the visuals. Oh, okay. And actually, that's, that, that's, that's almost like a, a waveform uh, it is, as fact. well. So I noticed as the music was going, it was correlating with the music and, and all so, that. So it's not just fuzzy. And because I'm running reaction. on a Linux laptop, uh, if I had the, well, if I had internet connectivity, which I kind of thought wouldn't be needed, but if I had internet connectivity, I can stream anything. This is FFmpeg, so I can redirect any stream online. And, oh, wow. So you yeah. could potentially pull like a radio station feed yeah. and have that... But instead, I'm going to show to play a theme song made by DJ Pilate, who made a, a Taskbot theme song for us, which is pretty awesome. Something that's coming through, okay? There we go. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I recognize that. You can see them. What happens? Yeah. 
So there was just this emphasis bit that we were able to kind of sort of mess with and some visualization and some other things to take this and manipulate the image in very, very, very few clock cycles. But the result is absolutely outstanding. And That's fantastic. total credit to, well, Total, who made this. This is all open source. It's available on Total's GitHub at T-E-W-T-A-L, so github.com uh, slash Total with a W. And uh, you can do this yourself if you're willing to build some really painful cables. The reality is the cables are the hardest part of this whole process. Oh, really? Yes, you by far. Wouldn't think that would be the, the cables, case, but the okay. <laughs> the, the PSOC 5 board is a $10 to $15 dev kit device. Yeah. But how do you physically connect it to a video game console? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fascinating stuff. Uh, are we missing anything here, or this, this is kind of what you? I'm sorry. Are you not blown enough away by this, sir? <laughs> I, I just don't know this if there's thing any is more uncompressed stereo audio on a Super Nintendo. I'm not saying I'm not impressed. This is really awesome stuff. I'm just wondering if you had, wow. if you were planning on anything else. If not, we 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 will move to a break. <laughs> I think a break. It's probably a good I need break, a break. Our, I think I think what it is is our minds are already blown I need to so catch much my right breath. now. We need to catch our breath. Yeah, we so we've got to talk about the future. Yeah, that's right. So let's take a break, and when we come back, we will talk about the future of uh, of this type of co- awesome console hacking. Uh, but first, this word uh, from the sponsor of Know How. This episode of Know How is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean provides the easiest cloud platform to deploy, manage, and scale applications uh, with droplets. It's virtual machines that are a scalable compute platform with add-on storage, security, and monitoring capabilities. And you can choose from standard or CPU-optimized droplets, and then, of course, customize out from there. DigitalOcean is designed for developers, has an easy-to-use control panel, and an API that lets developers spend more time coding and less time managing their infrastructure. It has industry-leading price-to-performance so that you can access the compute resources that you need at the lowest rates, saving up to 55% compared to other cloud providers. And you'll always know what you'll pay per month because there's a flat pricing structure across all data center regions. Uh, Along with all that, you get a number of things included at no additional cost. You get 99.99% uptime SLA, cloud firewalls, monitoring and alerting, full DNS management, global data centers, enterprise class SSDs, an easy-to-use API, of course, over 150,000 businesses, including some of the world's fastest-growing startups, rely on DigitalOcean to remove their infrastructure friction and deliver industry-leading price performance. Sign up today, and you'll receive a free $100 credit at do.co slash twit. That's do.co slash twit for a free $100 credit, and we thank DigitalOcean for their support. All right, so I think we're kind of still getting over uh, being wowed by what we saw. Um, obviously, you mentioned a lot of people that are helping out. It's not just you. It's obviously a big team. Talk a little bit about that. And I really have to talk about that because the reality is there is no way I can do all of the things we do on my own. I can't. I don't have all the skills. Yeah. There's one person who's an time. emulator coder, like Alari. <laughs> He's fantastic at making the LSNES emulator do amazing things for us. He's added features over the years, done all kinds of things to help support us. So he's the main author of the emulator that we use to work on Super Mario World and other Super Nintendo-based runs. It has the accuracy we need and the tool set we need. There's other folks that have made hardware. Micro 500 in particular was instrumental in the past. He's since dropped out of the team, but 
he was absolutely critical in being the guy who knew how to lay out a board, send it to manufacturing at a place like Osh Park, and produce these boards that you see here. Hmm. There's other folks that have been involved in scripting. We needed to write some kind of Python scripting to go between the PC or the Raspberry Pi or whatever Linux-based device we're using and the device itself. We especially needed that for the audio payload you just saw. It needed so much tuning to get that right that we had to write that in something other than Python originally. We eventually got it working in Python itself, but it took some some, some coding. Mm-hmm. So we have a large team of people with different skills, and it's, it keeps expanding. Uh, in the past couple of weeks, someone, as, as, as of the time of this recording, um, we, we've really started upping our game on YouTube. Someone came together and made a wonderful intro video. We had a composer come together, yeah. an, art, an arts, art artist, an animator, oh, great. a video editor, it. and all these are just volunteers. And this is largely because of the charity aspect of what we've done. Every event we do just keeps growing and growing with more people involved, different people cycling in and out. There's always a steady regulars. Master June has been involved in a lot of different projects. Uh, and if I, I, I know there are people who would love to hear their names said, and I haven't said them yet. There's just too many people. Right. Well, right, in but. terms of where everyone congregates, that can be sort of a great way for anyone watching this to understand where people gather to make this stuff, talk about it, whether either, either to join in or to celebrate it. So what are sort of the, the, fest, the, the common grounds that you might point well, to for those? Being a hardcore Linux nerd, of course, it was TaskBot on Freenode IRC. And then Discord happened. And stuff still happens on TaskBot. And for people who don't know, uh, Discord is very specific on the gaming side uh, in terms of being a really nice chat program that's like Slack with really nice audio integration, whether you're playing a game or talking about a game with friends. It's like Slack, but somehow does more with less CPU resources. But I like Slack, so (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah. Discord is very gaming-oriented. They have some features that are, are especially catered to gaming. If you're playing a game, it will say to your, all of your friends, hey, look, this is the game he's playing. A lot of aspects about that. What's been really interesting is the most we ever got on the IRC side at any given time was maybe 40, 50 people. I'm looking at our Discord numbers going into the 600s or more. They just keep increasing. And that large pool of people are also watching on Twitch streams. So it's all at dis, uh, discord.taskbot.net. Twitch stream is is going to be twitch.tv slash dwangoac, my username. I do stream stuff that's other than Taskbot, but long nice. and the short of it, we end up congregating on Discord, talking about some things, working on it interactively on live Twitch streams and refining what kind of code we want to write, what projects we want to ta- tackle and take on. And between those two platforms, we're, we've been able to make... an amazing content that we then post on the YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com and bef- uh, so UAC, of course. I got I to get that plug in there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm just curious before talking about exactly the future, how does that sort of amorphous blob of excitement and interest coalesce in terms of the direction that projects go? Is it just everybody coming up with crazy stuff on their own and pushing it together? It's about dividing and conquering. What is that like, that sort of fan-driven manpower and woman power to make these sort of things happen? The, the, the interesting thing is how many people are willing to do things when I ask them to. <laughs> because they buy into the idea. They buy into the purpose, right? Yeah. You mentioned charity. Yeah. That's and that's a, a huge, huge motivator, yeah. right? And, and it is. We, we had about three different – well, we had three different aspects of what we did at Summer Games Done Quick 2018 where it was benefiting Doctors Without Borders – we knew on the schedule that we had a game called Celeste, a new game that's very been, been very, very well received, PC-based. Mm. We knew we had 
a slot for F-Zero GX, one of the F-Zero games. We knew we had a slot for Super Metroid. And we split off. I delegated leaders to tackle each individual project, made primes for different things, and just let people go in their own direction, provided feedback on what tweaks to make, but largely gave creative control to these individual teams. And we had easily three dozen people that were involved by the time it was done Mm -hmm. for about an hour and a half of content. And they put a donation incentive of $60,000 just to see Taskbot play a game. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's when people are watching. They have a limited amount of time to donate to the participating charity. And if that amount is met, then someone would t- play another game or play a crazier version of the game. And in your case, it was for Tazbot to load a particularly crazy uh, extra mode or game or challenge. Yeah, and this is not uncommon. But setting a goal at $60,000 is pretty optimistic. They met it handily. And then we did another one where there was a... Super Metroid is well known for an interesting um, interesting aspect. Have you ever played Super Metroid? Oh, yeah. I've played a lot of Super Metroid oh, in my day. I bet you have. You know, at the end, you can save or kill the animals. <laughs> well, we gave them the choice. You can either save the animals and waste time, or you can kill the animals and save time. And they chose to save the animals, which was uh, was amusing. So, of course, we had to have something interesting. We did provide a specific uh, tool-assisted tool technique took over the game, provided some interesting flair with Total Control. You can go watch it yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was another example of people bidding back and forth. One camp wanted the animals to die, to save time, to save the frames. One person wanted the animals to live, to save the animals. And they bid $25,000 back and forth by the time it was all said and done. (laughs) So between the two things, these teams that came together, I'm not saying that we – are responsible for it. I'm just saying we helped raise over $90,000 for Doctors Without Borders. That's awesome. And the marathon as a whole at gamesdonequick.com, they, that particular marathon was the largest one we'd ever done for Doctors Without Borders. We raised over $2.1 over the course of the week for them. So, yeah, it motivates people. Yeah, it really does. Absolutely. And that's it's, such an interesting thing in terms of that spreading out over the year. It's about once every six months. That's which right. Which is that sort of perfect gestation period to say, hey, we just did this six months. It's, we got another one coming in six months. Maybe let's start coming up with ideas and things. Is it fair to start asking about the future by pinning on the next, you know, uh, awesome games done quick? Is like, what's sort of the future of, of TaskBot and the tool-assisted world? So... The next thing that's coming for the big event is Awesome Games Done Quick 2019, in January of 2019. And we we have pitched content that'll hopefully be accepted. Don't even know what it's going to be yet, but we have already had to go through the process of planning out what we're going to do. And one of the things that we'd love to be able to do is keep combating this aspect of people saying we're cheating. Even with everything I've described today, there's a certain subset where Sending electrical signals is still not good enough. Even when we did a handheld game in the form of playing Pokemon Red inside of a Super Game Boy cartridge, which itself was inside of a Super Nintendo, we were able to go through that data path so that we could send button presses to the, to the game without, it, without having to modify any hardware. But we'd really like to play on an actual handheld without having to open it up. Well, that leads to an interesting challenge. There's no, there's no port to connect to. Right. So one of the things we'd love to see get in is this absolutely insane-looking contraption that is a whole lot of Legos and actual stepper motors, servos. It's wrapped around the console. It was made by Funkmaster MP, well-known Diablo runner. He built this crazy device that can button mash, literal buttons. Wow. 
It that, is pretty cool. I'd that love sounds to that pretty intense. Now, you had also asked uh, during the break for me to go grab something from my bag that we had used in an earlier episode. I'll hold it up right here. Uh, this is the Xbox Adaptive Controller, which I recently got to review over at Ars Technica and very recently went and tested at a rehabilita- rehabilitation facility in Seattle, where I live. Um, and you talked about uh, sort of the way that this enables players kind of in a similar way that the charitable aspects of uh, some of the games done quick events have been. So I'd love to hear some more about that. Yeah, and I'd like to grab this real oh, quick yeah, go crazy. To, to demonstrate something. Uh, first of all, I, lo- I love the build quality of this. Yeah. You know that there's actually a slight acoustic difference I to can, the two buttons? Yeah, that's it's, why I did it in the microphone. such a trip. It is pretty cool. Oh, but wow. That makes when, sense. I have a lot of respect for Microsoft's hardware teams. I might obviously be biased to Linux because that's just what I do. But I have to give them credit for building a really – this thing is solid. I've, I've had it on my floor. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, let's just close up. I've had this thing on my, on my floor. I've been kicking it the last couple of days. It's surprisingly robust. Um, they, they did a really good job. But there's one thing they didn't do. They specifically wrote this to work with Xbox consoles and Windows 10. And if you want to use this on a PlayStation 4, you want to use this on a Nintendo Switch or a Wii U, you're out of luck. So we wanted to solve that problem. And – this team of people that originally developed around the whole concept of TaskBot, when I asked them to, were kind enough to – I'm just going to close this laptop. They were kind enough to help me figure out a way of how do we get this thing connected to a Switch, and we did it. So we now have the ability to play Nintendo Switch games with an adaptive controller. Wow. No and that, I mean that's only been for sale yes. a couple weeks, yeah, yeah. even as, of, as we're filming this. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty wild. That's By the way, I've got one of these little clips plugged in for one of the buttons. I'd be curious. I mean, I don't know if you want to spoil everything, but you mentioned something about the. So I do. One of th- this is this is just a, a thumb. You could use this anyway. They have all kinds of different different clicky devices. This one's just an individual switch. But I have a foot pedal that I stole from my son's drum kit, and and this is an you industry mean like a rock standard. band or Guitar Hero drum. Yeah. Well, it's a legit. Oh, like for an electronic drum kit. Yes, got it. Nice. But it's still cheap. It was still. Not exactly great this quality. It was like a three dollar switch, but but here's the interesting thing. I don't just want to do what Nintendo. That's what Microsoft did. Yes, I want people who have this controller. I want them to be able to play it on a on a Switch or a Wii U. Right now, we're still trying. We're working with an Arduino that works perfectly. I can play with a Microsoft Xbox 360 controller or any other kind of controller like that and adapt it through a Linux laptop and an Arduino, ideally we'd like to be able to use a a Raspberry Pi 0W so that the USB end is plugged into the switch. The wireless part gives you a web interface where you can configure what it does. The Bluetooth connects wirelessly to a controller. We've run into a couple of, uh, of, of, of challenges with that just because of trying to use Bluetooth and Wi-Fi at the same time. And we need to reach out and get support for some of that. But the goal is to make an extraordinarily cheap device because that Pi Zero W is only 15 bucks. Mm-hmm. It's cheap. This is $100. <laughs> so if if this part is only 3 bucks, and you have a Pi Zero W or a Pi Zero WH that already has a header on it and you have all these GPIO pins, maybe, maybe you could cut this out entirely. But this is a really nice device. So I'm not saying don't get it. I'm just saying. But there's still one more step. In addition to just getting it to the point where you can use this controller with other consoles, we want to take it to an entirely different level and add macro support. 
Ooh. Well, that's we were talking earlier about whether or not this might enable some crazy multi-button moves, but that's kind of crazy. But what I like about you talking about this and talking about the uh, portable system mashing is that it seems to be carrying forward the spirit of taking existing hardware and not cheating, but taking it to its maximum potential. Exactly. And that to me is what's really interesting about TaskBot and why I love it as part of this, this know-how series. It's taking equipment that we already know and love as enthusiasts and saying, let's just crank it up to 11 right. the way it was intended uh, and, and do something really cool because we love technology. And that's why I really dig this. I mean, that's got to be sort of the spirit that kind of fills your bottle of excitement when you think about all these different projects. Yeah, and especially with this. Microsoft did amazing work, but they stopped short of one thing. Imagine for a moment that... I'll give you an example. There's a specific speedrunner named Half-Coordinated, and he is legitimately Half-Coordinated. He has one hand that functions fully and one that doesn't. So he tends to... His stick is playing one hand and completing a game, completing a game with only one hand on the controller. But there are some things that are kind of challenging. I'll use Breath of the Wild for the Switch or the Wii U as an example. If you want to do a dodge roll, you have to be targeting the enemy with a trigger button, you have to be moving with the analog stick and pressing the jump button, and you have to time the jump button at just the right time, and then you have to button mash at 10 hertz. That's a tall order no matter how many attachments you put on that yeah, thing. Yeah, no kidding. So what we've done is added a Python shim layer in between the controller and the game. And you press one button at the right time and it does all of the correct things for you. We're still developing it. We're still working on it. We don't know how far it'll go, how well it'll work. I've just started testing it. I can tell you, I made a macro where I press a foot pedal and no matter where I am in the game in Breath of the Wild, it will automatically go to the right menu and quick save for me right there. I've done another one that can immediately take out both bombs and and, uh, explode them right in front of you as fast as the hardware allows. Right. Which, you now think about this. Remember I said in 2003, it was playing in slow motion with tools to assist a human. A human was actively involved in the process. By 2006, that was completely divorced and tool-assisted speedrunning meant frame advance and only frame advance. And as a result, over the years, TAS has become, the tool-assisted speedrunning community has become very diverged from the real-time running community to the point that macros are totally outlawed in any kind of speedrunning. And what we're doing is just throwing a bunch of dynamite right in the middle of this whole thing because this sits squarely between the two you're augmenting human gameplay with tools in a way that isn't good enough for the tool assisted speedrun folks but also irritates the loving daylights out of the speedrunning folks so how this plays out i don't know yet but i think it's the right thing to do to do this that's such an welcome to the speedrunning class clown championship right there with with motives like that i think that's really intriguing and exciting uh speed running is one of these worlds that you either have never heard of or that you look at and go oh my goodness there's so much new stuff happening all the time so it's a really exciting thing to hear you and your many comrades in these sort of efforts in discord and beyond pushing forward with this stuff so absolutely i, I just think it's awesome yeah fantastic stuff uh alan cecil keeper of Taskbot, where do you want people to go to follow everything that you're that you're doing online right now sorry for all the plugs one after another that's the okay this is your opportunity to, to do that started is definitely discord.taspot.net you can go to taspot.net and see basic information about the project but come to the discord if you want to chat interactively i stream on a fairly regular basis on twitch uh that's where most of the content that we develop happens so that's mm-hmm. twitch.tv slash ac that's d-w-a-n-g-o-a-c and recently, we've started doing Friday videos on YouTube. They are at youtube.com slash Uh 
obviously I do primarily Taskbot content, but sometimes I legitimately play games and get my um, get myself handed to myself, if you will. We right. like we <laughs> like humans as much as we like robots, so we're all about right. it. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't make up my mind whether I like humans or robots more. I'm going to need. We'll to find out uh, over the course of the next few years uh, how we really feel about robots versus humans. When Taskbot takes over the world, <laughs> yes, <laughs> or at least beats me at the next game of uh, Mario. Uh, Alan, thank you for coming in, man. Thank you so it's, much. It's so great to talk to you about this stuff. I know everybody uh, gets a kick out of this stuff too because it's just so it's so geeky. Like on a on a gamer level, I love it. Uh, so best of luck with everything uh, with Taskbot. Um, next episode, we're going to wrap out the gaming series the next episode is the last episode of the gaming series can you believe it this is the penultimate this episode? has been quite a journey in terms of how much time we've been pounding away at these <laughs> uh, i know it feels like only two days at this point at the time of this recording but it's been so much longer circle, than that. no i i i'm so happy to round it out to finish out this year of 2018 <laughs> strong with one more awesome know-how experience that's right. We're going to dive into a little bit about software modding and maybe just touch on a few random topics that we didn't get the chance to get to. So we'll chat about that next week. Uh, twit.tv slash KH is where you can go for all the information you need about this show. Links, show notes, past episodes, subscribe information. Uh, also, that's where you go to get our new episodes. Every Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific is, you know, the new episodes appear on that page. Or if you're subscribed to the podcast uh, link, you don't have to worry about that because it'll all happen for you. Uh, go to the Google Plus community page. If you so do a search for Twit Know How on the Google Plus communities page, you're going to find our community, right around 12,000 other fans of this show, all pitching in on the topics from the from the show, be it gaming. I'm sure there's some people who are going to have some conversation on there about uh, speed-assisted runs uh, and so much more around gaming or IoT or you know just makery stuff. Head over over to Google Plus and search for that community. Uh, Sam Escovich, where can people follow all of the stuff you're doing online right now? Uh, the Twitter, Sam Red. That's way easier to spell than my last name. Head over to arstechnica.com for all of the stuff I write over there as an editor. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 sorry, I just already, I want to talk to Josh because I just have this feeling that he wants to pimp his Instagram account. Is no. it Instagram today? No, I hate to deviate from everything I've done so far this whole series, but I think I'm just going to have to give out my URL. <laughs> Which, Wait, what is a URL? A personal URL? My domain name. I have to. I guess I have to do that. What Which, is it? Uh, well, D- do you have just an IP address you can give us? I wish <laughs> that would have been better. Uh, no, it's uh, it's it's get ready for this. Uh huh. TheMacandJosh.com. Ooh. Oh, that's different. So, I was yeah, really I expecting that's... a nonprofit there, but he's clearly a for-profit Macandjosh. Yeah, no, I am. <laughs> Good to know. It's big business. That's that's, that's very uh, very bold of you to choose that as your URL. I don't quite understand, but I know it's uh, kind of different from everything else I do. But <laughs> all right, thank you, Josh. I'm a Jason Howell on Twitter, and uh, I've just this has been such a fun series. So we'll see you next week for the last of the gaming episodes of Know How. Thanks again, Alan, for coming in. And now that you know how, why don't you like create your own taskbot and let us know all about it? We'll go see make, you later. Go make a taskbot. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Go, go make a replay device. <laughs> right.